Welcome to Looking at Lucasfilm, the podcast with a different perspective on the world of Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and all of the other entities that George Lucas, Kathleen Kennedy, Dave Filoni, and John Favreau, and the rest of the team at Lucasfilm have dreamed up over the past 40 years. I'm entertainer writer Jim Hill and my co-host, Brian Gaughan, and I are recording this on Sunday, May 15th. So, Brian, how has your weekend been going so far? It was been good. Uh, yesterday, I mm. got um, a little in the weeds. My wife wanted to see the movie The Long, The Lost City, and mm-hmm. in order to do that, it was streaming on Paramount Plus. So, okay. I bought Paramount Plus mm-hmm. for for a month, which is fine. And I realized that on there was the new show, The Offer. Oh, the making of the Godfather. Okay, it's really well done, and mm. and I think um, Alfred. Ruddy, who is mm-hmm. the producer, he has a lot to do with this. So there's a lot of background to it. And there's five episodes out right now. Mm-hmm. And the big thing about it was during episode, I think it was three, mm-hmm. they actually show mm-hmm. Coppola in his office, mm-hmm. his Zo- American Zoetrope office. Mm-hmm. And as he's sitting there, this guy walks through and he's out of focus. But mm-hmm. then he goes in the background and sits on a couch in mm-hmm. the background and it's George. <laughs> and and it was weird because yesterday was George Lucas's birthday. Yes, yeah, 78th birthday. But in the Hill family, Godfather verges on religion. I mean, my brother Peter particularly is hugely into the Godfather. I remember him diligently. Remember when they, they did the Godfather saga on NBC? They ran oh, it over. Oh, yeah. That was the first time I saw it. Yeah, well, that was the thing. Pete diligently taped that version of the the film, but uh, it's interesting. Again, you bring up George Lucas and being involved in The Godfather because filming The Godfather got underway March 29th, 1971. Uh, in fact, the very first scene they shot was when Michael and, and Kay are out shouting, out shopping for Christmas presents on the streets of New York. There we go. And they continue to shoot out in New York through the uh, first week of July in 71. But George Lucas talked about how. In May of 1971, I tried to buy the rights to Flash Gordon. And he talks about how on a trip to New York with Francis Ford Coppola, he was in town to supposedly lock down financing for American Graffiti with United Artists, and and that fell through, and eventually he makes the movie for for Universal. But while he's there to meet with the folks at, at United Artists, George makes a trip to King Features Syndicate because, you know, they're the publishers of the Flash Gordon comic strip and the owners of the rights to the character. And he wants to negotiate with them to make a Flash Gordon movie. But it's like the King Features people are just ridiculous. I mean, they supposedly told George that if you're going to make a movie, we want 80% of the gross. And by the way, we'd like Federico Fellini to direct this. And so George is like, forget it. And he goes back to the hotel room and basically t- says to Francis, I'm going to write my own thing. <laughs> and, and so this is how we get Star Wars. But this isn't necessarily the first time that George Lucas has showed up in a, a film or a TV show as an actual character, which brings us to Fanboys Fan from Boys. 2009, which you were saying you really, really enjoyed, right? Yeah, um, I didn't get to see it when it was in the theater, or, mm-hmm. or maybe I did, I can't remember, but I mm-hmm. did show it to my kids, mm-hmm. and they were about, Devin was about eight, and Brianna was about five, mm-hmm. and the the 
it's it's there's a lot of like goofy stuff for kids i mean the kids love and and Mm -hmm. um you know that they would relate to and Mm -hmm. um can you guess what their favorite part was (laughs) i was gonna say harry knowles beating up the fanboys but see they didn't know who harry knowles was at the time there we go that this is a movie that celebrates web 1.0 but yes all right so so when they were peeing on the electric fence well, there we go. I That's mean, what know, an eight-year-old boy loves, and a, and a five-year-old girl. They they do I, you know, like uh, stuff like that. I enjoyed it when Ren and Stimpy, you know, the, the, don't <laughs> don't whiz on the electric fence, the home game. Um, but for me, what what's fascinating about fanboys is if you look back now, the pedigree. I mean, the screenplay's written by Ernest Klein. This is the author yeah. of Ready Player One, not just the book, but the movie, uh, also the, the the sequel from from last year, Ready Player Two. Plus Adam F. Goldberg, the creator and showrunner of ABC's long-running sitcom, The Goldbergs. Also, movie directed by Kyle Newman. He's the guy who did that documentary, The Raiders, the the story of the greatest fan film ever made. You know, remember these three teenagers yeah, who you know, they, were, they, they they put together their own mm-hmm. Indiana Jones movie. They did. They did. You know, I mean, matched it shot for shot back in '82. And I have to say, I also, I just love the premise of this road picture. You know, you have these childhood friends who grow up loving the original Star Wars trilogy, and they're all aware that Phantom Menace is in production and it will be out in theaters soon. But then they discover that their good buddy has cancer, and it's really unlikely he's going to survive to see Phantom Menace. And so they cook up this scheme where they're going to drive cross country and then break into Skywalker Ranch and steal the work print of Phantom Menace and then bring it back to their friend so he can see the movie before he passes. And look, it's a flat out wonderful screenplay, though as the story goes, it wound up being produced by Harvey Weinstein I think this was after Miramax. I'm, I, I think it was when he had set up the Weinstein Company. And Harvey was infamous for being not just hands-on, but kind of brutalizing filmmakers. And I guess for a time, because he thought the subject matter was too grim, they actually did a cut of the film where they pulled out the whole friend has cancer, that's why we're going to go get, you know, steal this work print. He, he literally... It wouldn't had, make sense. No, that's him. it exactly. What's kind of sweet about how George Lucas is handling the movie is they, they spoiler alert here, but they do break into the Lucasfilm and get Skywalker Ridge and they get caught. And George decides not only to let them off the hook, but arranges for the friend who's sick to actually see The Phantom Menace, which is a really sweet little element of the story but but movie this movie is also famous for its end gag do do you remember that how the movie ends where the guys finally do get into a theater and they're sitting there and and the lights are coming down to to watch phantom menace that's a movie they've worked so hard to see and you know there's this pause and one of them turns the other goes but what if it sucks yeah yeah So. Well, and then there's another film where yep. Lucas is actually a character, and Spielberg too. Um, have you heard of Five Twenty Five Seventy Seven? Oh, it's the the yes. Patrick Reed Johnson movie mm-hmm. 
they showed it for one day on mm-hmm. May 25th mm-hmm. in theaters, and I was very fortunate to um, get to see this film. And there's been rumors that he's trying to get it on CD and mm-hmm. trying to get it released that way, but it's it's very good. Oh, it, okay. It's a wow. very well. good movie, and um, Patrick Reed Johnson was the one that did Baby's Night Out mm-hmm. or Baby's Day Out. Oh, well, yes. I think okay. it's that. And also Spaced Invaders, which is one of my favorite little, like, <sighs> Oh, thank you. You films. are talking early Eisner Disney there. Wow. Oh, yeah. Okay. And wow. Then the, and then Angus, which I think is one of the better um, coming-of-age movies. I know but he's But he's kind of disappeared now. It's, it's a, yeah, look up Angus, because right. it's, it's a real, it's an amazing movie. I will. I will. So um, um, I, I love when people go to the whole mythology of what mm-hmm. Star Wars has begun and what mm-hmm. it means to people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So well, and here are two films that one deals with the beginning and mm-hmm. the other one deals with the new beginning. Yeah. To circle back to Phantom Menace here, just yesterday, Nancy and I drove down to Brimfield, Massachusetts, and... Three times a year, Brimfield's population swells to 50,000 because this is when antique lovers and collectible enthusiasts pour into the town to take advantage of the thrice annual Brimfield Flea Market. It's a six-day-long affair done three times a year. It's been going on for over 50 years now and thousands of tables. Now, mind you, yesterday, Nancy and I and her sister only got to a handful of them. Uh, we drove down for the afternoon to check it out, and I, I saw a startling amount of Star Wars-related stuff on display and up for sale. And the stuff that was commanding surprisingly steep prices was the stuff from the prequels. It seems like their moment is now here, that the kids who saw those movies are now in their late 20s, their early 30s. They have disposable income. They're trying to get the toys back from their childhood. And the folks who were setting up things on tables down in Brimfield, it it was kind of interesting to watch. The prequel stuff had the top prices, whereas the stuff from the original films and the Disney-produced Star Wars films actually were kind of priced on the lower side. Well, I think that may be because... The baby boomers are into the first, and they got the money to spend, and mm-hmm. and and they're feeling nostalgic mm-hmm. about what it was, you know, mm-hmm. the past. Whereas the the people, the people, mm-hmm. the generation that came into the new mm-hmm. movies, they're not there yet. Mm-hmm. So I can see why the prices could be different. This is true. This is true. I don't know if you you've seen you and McGregor's out there now doing press for the Obi-Wan Kenobi limited series. What's genuinely kind of intriguing about this is what he, the news he's had to share. Oh, by the way, speaking of the news, the news portion of this week's uh, Look at Looksum is brought to you by Storybook Destination, trusted travel partner, the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestination.com. Anyway, uh, back to uh, what you uh, McGregor's been saying about the Star Wars prequels um he talked about he's uh, said it was an odd experience to make those movies uh, 
uh, you know, when you step into that world, it's a big deal. And and we put our heart and soul into the prequels. And they were difficult to make because the second one, the third one, there was so much green screen and, and blue screen. And because George was pushing into this new realm that he had designed, he had he was responsible for ILM and he wanted to max out that technology. But But that meant for us that we were very much surrounded by blue screens and green screens. And, and that was hard work. At that year's VES symposium, ILM hosted like five different panels uh, on making of the Attack of the Clones. And we got to see a lot of raw footage of Obi-Wan's trip to the ocean planet of Kamino and his visit to the clone factory. And so it's poor Ewan McGregor. The whole time he's shooting these scenes where he meets with those ridiculously tall, thin aliens who were in charge of the clone, making the clone army. He's standing on this giant soundstage got bare minimum props and sets, and they're all painted that green screen color. But then to make sure that Ewan's eyelines are right, all of the actors who were playing the, the Kaminoans? Yeah, Kaminoans, I think. There we go. Okay. Uh, all the, the people, uh, they're dressed in green screen colored costumes, and they're wearing masks, but sticking up a foot over their head is a stick with a tennis ball, also painted green, on top of it. And this is what McGregor is diligently maintaining eye contact with because that tennis ball, because when, you know, the CG is inserted, that's going to be the height of the, the, the Kaminoan. And, 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 you know, he wants to earnestly act, you know, do the right thing for George. And it's just sort of, oh. Anyway, uh, again, you in interviews he did this past week out ahead of Obi Wan Kenobi's limited reset. So he had to work so hard on those movies, and then to have the prequels not be well received, or at least have the critics at that time not say very nice things about these movies. Well, the critics, and then some of the the original fans, but the movies did very well. The, I mean, look at them; they they still all made. What the three of them together made more than what three four billion dollars, and the merchandise. Come on, Phantom Menace made a ridiculous amount of money, and then Attack of the Clones made a good solid chunk, but then Revenge of the Sith did not do as well. At the time, it was sort of perceived to the effect of the classic Star Wars fans, you know, the the guys who who loved the original films, just aren't coming out. They decided they they tried the first two. They weren't to their liking and didn't come back. Well, I have a theory about the last one, if you want to hear it. Absolutely. What? Well, when did the last one come out? 2005? 2005. Okay. I had a four-year-old son mm-hmm. and who I was bringing to movies, mm-hmm. and we went to see Corpse Bride, mm-hmm. which was you know kind of intense for a four-year-old. Mm-hmm. But during the movie, after the movie was over, he knew mm-hmm. about... Star Wars that was in theaters. Mm-hmm. So he asked me, he goes, can we go see Star Wars? Mm-hmm. So I snuck him into a theater. I mean, you know, it's not that hard. <laughs> no, and- no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> now it is because you have to have reservations. Oh, but yeah. That, that, back that, then, you know, it wasn't that hard. And we came in maybe 45 minutes into the movie. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's the part of the movie where things are building up, where mm-hmm. things are getting to the point where, you know, mm-hmm. the, the tensions. Mm-hmm. And it builds up to you start seeing Anakin get angry. Mm-hmm. And Devin, about an hour, in, you know, from where we were, and Devin turns to me and goes, okay, we can go now. <laughs> 
And that night, his mother asked him about the movies. No. And he said to her, he goes, well, we saw Corpse Bride, and then we saw Star Wars. Star Wars was so scary, you couldn't even watch it. It was so scary. Wow. And this is a four-year-old. So um, okay. I, had to, I had to then show him the other movies, mm-hmm. which are, you know, like George said, he goes, he wanted to make movies for kids. Yep. And he did. Mm-hmm. And, and the first two prequels were made for kids, for the mm-hmm. most part. But kids growing up to where the third one is horrifying. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know when he saw, uh, you know, the, he, he was probably in his teens mm-hmm. when he eventually saw the whole thing and, and what happened on, you know, with Anakin. Mm-hmm. But my theory is mm-hmm. kids were scared by it. It was too intense for little kids. Hmm. And also people didn't see him more than once. Were the other films, when we saw the first Star Wars, or when we saw Star Wars, mm-hmm. you and I, that summer, how many oh, yeah. times did you see easy, it? Easy, three or four times without even breaking a sweat. I yeah. saw it 12 times, okay. just that summer. Mm-hmm. And and we're talking, you know, we went on a trip and I saw it in Chicago, I saw mm-hmm. it in Canada, mm-hmm. and um, every place I saw it, you had to wait in line for two hours, mm-hmm. and you had, and it was completely packed. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's it, it wasn't the the first one or that, the Revenge of the Sith. Mm-hmm. I think just it, what you saw it and then you were like, okay, I've seen it. <laughs> I don't know if I want to sit through this again because mm-hmm. it's of the depressing aspect of things. Well, you know, and it's it's so interesting you say this because again, I was reading uh, just this past week that I, I want to say this was an archival interview with George Lucas. And he was talking about how when Phantom Menace came out and people were like, oh boy, I get to see the movie where Darth Vader turns to the dark side. And it's like, what? He's a little kid? And George was like, you don't wake up in the morning and and are automatically evil. You have to show the arc of the story. You have to show the events that put him on that road, that put him on that path, that, yeah, it was going to take three films to get there. And I think that kind of surprised a lot of people that I got to commit this much time to see this story play out. And then you have to sit through the politics of the thing. And I think that's what people got. It's like, What's this with the Trade Federation? What are yeah. they? I don't understand. Just give me more aliens. You are not wrong. I think they have used Coruscant and the Senate to so much better effect with the animated series, you know, that have been done. Oh, I, I, absolutely. I think in the films, it's like, wait a minute, I was promised a chocolate chip cookie. What is this bowl of bran sitting here in front of me? It's like, well, yes, the trade mission. And, you know, we just filed a bill in the Senate. And it's like, oh, God. Just well, you're right. The, Get to the those end. the animated ones. They were still George. George was still involved, mm-hmm. but he had another person to bounce things off of. Yeah, and he had a person who dealt with mm-hmm. kids' animation. Yeah. You know, Dave Filoni. Mm-hmm. So Dave would say, "Well, I think that would be." He probably. I'm not saying he did, but he would probably say, "George, do you think the kids would get that?" Mm-hmm. And then maybe just toning it down a little bit. But just to be fair here, we, we need to mention that before Dave was in that space, there was oh, uh, right. Gennady Tartakovsky who Absolutely. did oh, amazing stuff and just proved that it could be done. And and Dave definitely picked up that ball and ran with it. Yeah. So, all right. Anyway, uh, back to, to Mr. McGregor talking again about the kids who watch the prequels. 
And he's when I had to say, well, that's why it's so great nowadays to have the kids who, who saw the prequels in theaters now call out and say, these were my Star Wars movies when I was growing up, and I absolutely loved them. And it's like, that's why it's so gratifying to hear after all these years, you know. Again, he goes on to say, you know, I myself, I hadn't watched the prequels in years, so out ahead of shooting the, these limited series, uh, you know, for Disney Plus, I, I watched them again to prep for the role, and I was honestly surprised at how well the, the movies held up. Like, I, like episode three, that's a really good movie, nonstop action. And he then goes on to say, though, that I just have to say, it's just so nice, particularly over the past year or so, to, to meet up with all these younger Star Wars fans. Well, they're in their 20s and their 30s, you know, so they're, they're still sort of young, uh, younger than me, and, and have them talk about how much they love the prequels. And said, mind you, it took almost 15 years before we began, began hearing people talk about the Star Wars prequels in that manner. But given that we were headed in the shooting Obi-Wan limited series, just as that began to happen, it was just so nice to hear. You know, just again, as I'm getting ready to re reprise that character, and it honestly changed my outlook on the whole franchise. My relationship with Star Wars is different today because those fans came forward and talked about how much they liked the prequels. So, which again, I, that's kind of a cool story, isn't it? It's a great story. And the prequels, if you think about it, mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of people were, but they did well, the, mm -hmm. the, at least the first two. Yep. A lot of people were negative against it. There were mm -hmm. characters that they couldn't understand, like mm -hmm. Jar Jar. Mm -hmm. But when I, I first started dating my wife mm -hmm. at, the, at the time that movie came out, mm -hmm. um, it was like the second film we saw together. Mm -hmm. And she's from Armenia. Mm -hmm. She never saw any of the Star Wars films before. Mm -hmm. So she didn't know anything about it. So the first movie she saw was The Phantom Menace. That oh, was the wow. very first film that she saw in the Star Wars series. Who do you think her favorite character was? Gotta be Jar Jar. It was Jar Jar. Mm. And I thought it was Watto, because to me, Watto's very Armenian. But mm -hmm. it was Jar Jar. <laughs> and... Um, she just loved that he was goofy, mm -hmm. that he would fall all over the place, and the mm -hmm. way he was. She loves the way he walked, mm -hmm. and I had seen it uh, with her. I saw it the third time, mm -hmm. and then when she says, "Oh yeah, Jar Jar's my favorite," mm -hmm. when I saw it again, I'm going, "Okay, I see it. I see. You know, uh, you know, I'm not crazy about the the pigeon English thing, yeah. but yeah. I'm." I can see the, and then later I found out that George wanted to do a goofy character. Well, no, that's it exactly. The, the, which he completely succeeded with, if you think about it. Jar Jar was supposed to be the corner where Buster Keaton and Goofy met. Oh. It was a role for a great physical comedian, supposedly Buster Keaton in the general, you know how in so much of the general Buster's character succeeds almost in spite of himself. Yeah. That was the inspiration for, for Jar Jar in the battle scenes. You know, to the effect of how did they win the war? Because Jar Jar was doing the wrong thing at the right time. And I think we all looking back at that, just sort of like different voice would have been an entirely different reaction. No disrespect, of course, to Ahmed Best, who did the, the acting on the set and that sort of thing. In fact, that supposedly was one of the nicer things about the Star Wars celebration that was held in Chicago in 2019. Ahmed Best, for the first time in years, went oh, wow. to a Star Wars event. And got a standing ovation and, you know, the effect of from the kids who grew up watching the prequels. And it's like, oh, we love you. Yeah. And it's like, I've been waiting a long time to hear that. <laughs> 
Okay, Obi-Wan Kenobi, a limited series, debuts on Disney Plus May 27th. Six episodes. Uh, last episode is supposed to air on uh, June 22nd. Ewan is already out there supposedly campaigning for a second series. Get her to the effect of... Now, are they going to... Uh, yeah, I, I've been hearing about Moon Knight. Mm -hmm. And the thing about Moon Knight was it was supposed to be a limited series. Mm -hmm. But now it's open-ended and, and then it went from series finale to season finale. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, if is, is that to do with the um, Emmy nominations from what i've been hearing there, there are actually two dates coming up later this summer we hear what the actual nominations are in the various categories and i think disney's decision to initially position it to go into the limited series category and then suddenly you know and, and the weird thing of it is is that the uh the television academy can actually use your promotional campaign uh, and what you've been saying on social media as a as an excuse to bump you out of a category. The fact that Disney changed the promotion of Moon Knight from series finale to season finale as part of pushing out the trailer. The fear is that this could potentially blow Oscar Isaac's opportunity to take home a trophy or okay. you know get the, the show some professional recognition. People were talking last year about how much they enjoyed WandaVision, and they expected that to do really well when award season rolled around, and man, that didn't happen. Yeah, well. Well, and then another thing. Okay, I wanted to ask you, maybe you've heard about this. Mm -hmm. um, Obi-Wan was originally supposed to come out May 25th, which is the mm -hmm. mecca for, for um, all Star Wars fans, mm -hmm. but they changed it mm -hmm. to that Friday. Mm-hmm. To May twenty seventh, yep. and they're going to show two episodes. But also, mm -hmm. you know, Wednesday is usually the day all the Disney stuff is coming out. Mm -hmm. So I don't understand what would be the change for because it would be perfect. It's a Wednesday. It's May twenty fifth. Think about what is also happening on May twenty seventh, which is Star Wars Celebration. Supposedly. In the Anaheim Arena, they are going to allow folks on the day the show drops that, you know, oh, by the way, tonight, if you want to go over to the Anaheim Arena, we're going to be presenting these things on a big screen in there. And who knows who might drop by to say hello? So it might have been also been done for the fact Disney is constantly looking for angles to work publicity and certainly taking pictures of a certain actor on stage in front of a screaming audience. Think about how that footage would then be used, photos in magazines and, you know, okay. on the internet. And there were also four other episodes that have to air after these two do. So that there, there might be a plan there. But the other thing worth noting is on May 27th, that's also the night that they're going to be doing the Disneyland After Dark hard ticket, the, the Star Wars night at Disneyland Park. You actually got to do this. They presented it earlier this month on, on May 3rd or the 4th. You, you did the yeah, 3rd. May, May 3rd and the 4th. I, I did it on May 3rd, but mm -hmm. at midnight, it mm -hmm. was May the 4th. There we go. There we go. So right. I did get to, I was there at Star Wars night, May the 4th, and it was the first time I went to Galaxy's Edge, too. Okay. And when we get back, Brian's going to talk about his very first trip to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This land has been open on, on the East Coast and the West Coast. I mean, well, we also obviously have to factor in the pandemic, but better part of two years, three years now? And this is your first time getting there? Three years. The first day it opened, was mm-hmm. it was very cool. Mm-hmm. My son was mm-hmm. having his grad night mm-hmm. at Disneyland. <sighs> so... When they opened up reservations, mm-hmm. every kid that was going to be there from all the high, a lot of the high schools around mm-hmm. Southern California, mm-hmm. they tried to get in. Devin didn't get in. His mm-hmm. friends got in. Some of his friends got in, but Devin didn't get in, unfortunately. <sighs> but he mm-hmm. did pick me up mm-hmm. um, a couple pins okay. for opening and a t-shirt. Mm-hmm. And he got his friends to get me one of the Coca-Cola thermal bombs. <laughs> And then that year I bought a pass Mm -hmm. and I was going to go to see Galaxy's Edge. And I had actually gone to Disneyland twice, Mm -hmm. but I could not get myself to go into the land because I was by myself and I was afraid that I would fall into a fetal position (laughs) and just start bawling. And because, you know, I've been to Hogsmeade Mm -hmm. and... It's great. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. it's it's what immersion should be. Mm-hmm. And I think it's one of the very first real immersion lands before Pandora. But there's there's all this forced perspective and mm-hmm. so you mm-hmm. can tell that you're in a, a theme park mm-hmm. going to a land that's supposed to be Wizarding World, whatever. Mm-hmm. That's not the way that Galaxy's Edge is. Mm-hmm. At least to me. Have you been there yet? I have done the Florida version. In okay. fact, I, I'm actually kind of, I, forgive me, this is the geekiest thing to be obsessed about. But the Florida version has two entrances. They have one that goes in next to Muppet Studios that basically brings you to the hidden rebel base. They're in, in the ruin of the previous civilization. You, you find out that Ray and party have set up camp. If on the other hand, you come in it from the Toy Story land side, 
you are literally there. You walk in past the first order ship. They've landed. They've heard the rebels are here and they, they want information. And what fascinates me about the Disneyland version is it has a third entrance, like literally in the middle of Big Thunder Trail. And so the notion is you can walk into right, literally into the middle of the story. You're not with the rebels. You're not with the first order. You're in the community and you learn from them what's going on. That would have been a fascinating way to experience Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, sort of walking in the middle there and just taking in the world and then deciding, well, which way do I go? Well, see, I, I didn't realize, um, I mean, I, I have realized Star Wars, and mm-hmm. I, I guess this is goofy, but mm-hmm. it did change my life. Mm-hmm. And the way it did is, as a teenager, mm-hmm. as a young person, I loved comic books. I mm-hmm. loved the, that kind of, I mean, I would go home on Friday night to see Koshak the Night Stalker. Oh, Darren McGavin, yes, what, okay. Is still um well, it's my number two favorite show. My number one favorite show is Bristol County Jr., but someday uh, we'll talk about that. Bruce Campbell, yes. It, it, excellent choices. But these are the things that really, mm-hmm. you know, that really got to me. So I was, in, I went to school in Newport Beach, mm-hmm. and there wasn't a lot of kids like me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know anybody who was reading comic books. Mm-hmm. So when Star Wars came out, there's a line in 52577 mm-hmm. where he goes, when this movie comes out and people see it, I will no longer be alone. Oh. And that's the way Star Wars was for me. Star mm-hmm. Wars made me mm-hmm. acceptable. Mm-hmm. I mean, two years after graduation, mm-hmm. I went to work at a movie theater mm-hmm. and the head cheerleader mm-hmm. was working at this movie theater. Mm-hmm. Because of Star Wars, because mm-hmm. of movies, we we started like hanging out and stuff. Mm-hmm. And she said to me, which mm-hmm. is very funny and very ironic, mm-hmm. how come we didn't hang out in high school? And it was like one of those things like, really? Yeah. You think that you would have you, the cheerleader and you know and prom queen would hang out with me? But at this time, if these movies came out mm-hmm. like like my son, my son yeah. Is he wears a, a Star Wars T-shirt or he mm-hmm. wears a Mandalorian T-shirt mm-hmm. or some kind of cool T-shirt? People are are actually stopping him and asking where he got the T-shirt. Mm-hmm. I bought him. Have you seen the the show Sex Education on Netflix? Not yet, but a, a number of folks have been saying it's a really great coming of age mm-hmm. show. Yep. And in it, one of the characters is kind of nerdy. He wears this nerdy jacket. Mm-hmm. And I bought Devin that jacket. And he actually goes across campus mm-hmm. and people will stop him, especially mm-hmm. a lot of girls will stop yeah. him and say, is that the set? Is that Otis's jacket? Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's an icebreaker and geek and nerd are kind of in nowadays. So they are, Star Wars they meant are. so much to me that I was afraid that I would go in there and mm-hmm. then all these feelings would, would just attack me. And that's what happened. I mean, not to the fact that I was like, you mm-hmm. know, they had to take me out by paramedics, mm-hmm. but <laughs> to, to the fact that I did get lightheaded. I went in there and I started like almost hyperventilating oh. and, um, you know, I had to put my hand over my mouth and, mm-hmm. you know, sucking my oxygen to, to mm-hmm. stop getting lightheaded mm-hmm. and, and to where I, I may have had to sit down someplace, but... I went in there, and it's really confusing, especially at night. In the yeah. daytime, 
-hmm. there's there's more detail you can see what's going on mm -hmm. but going around mm -hmm. and it's almost like a maze because mm -hmm. it does go back on itself to get everything in that small space mm -hmm. and um and i get there and i'm I'm looking around i'm, I'm trying to find smugglers run because that's where my brother and mm -hmm. his family is because mm -hmm. i met up with them and i just we're getting these feelings of uh, I, I was feeling very warm inside you know i can tell you that okay but and i get there and i i see mm -hmm. we we go on and it, it is funny mm -hmm. no pictures or video which i've seen a lot on youtube and pictures can prepare you for how great and how much detail mm -hmm. and how much you are this is not not forced um perspective mm -hmm. you are on another planet you are in another world this is immersion to the to the nth degree mm -hmm. you you are there they did such an amazing job on it that everything around you and everything that you see mm -hmm. is is part of your experience mm -hmm. and and the rides when when you know people are were talking about the rides when they first came out Mm -hmm. And Smuggler's Run was the, the only one open. Mm -hmm. And I was noticing that theme park enthusiasts, mm -hmm. they weren't as crazy about it. Yeah, they're saying, well, it's the same thing that Star Tours was, and Star mm -hmm. Tours does it better, and da da da. Mm -hmm. But the people who were Star Wars fans, mm -hmm. they went nuts because they were flying the Millennium Falcon. Mm -hmm. And it didn't matter you know, if the ride was substandard to, you know, what Star Tours was or it was the same thing. This mm. was being, you were riding in the Millennium Falcon. Mm -hmm. And then Rise of the Resistance. Have you seen that yet? Yes, yes. Okay. I, 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 it's not a ride. It's, it's, it's a, you are, again, with mm -hmm. the experience of going into Galaxy's Edge, mm -hmm. you are part of something. Mm -hmm. you are and and that there's like a lot of cast members too there's like 30 cast members walking around especially in the new order mm -hmm. and and those guys are serious mm -hmm. you you see them and they're like whispering in each other's ear and and yep. then they come and they grab somebody and you're going oh no what's going on mm -hmm. i had the feeling do you remember the stanford prison experiment in 1971 mm -hmm. I have heard of this. I've also heard of what is it? Uh, is it the third wave? Uh, also, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is it's we we're, we do what we're told. Yes, mm -hmm. and you felt that these people were drinking the Kool Aid because they were serious about what they were doing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I saw this look on this one girl's face, this mm -hmm. one woman's face, mm -hmm. and it scared me. Mm -hmm. But they let you goof around. If you want to talk to your friend, if you want to point and stuff like that, they mm -hmm. don't try to shame you or, or say, get in line or, mm -hmm. you know, or anything like that. They're just doing their job. Mm -hmm. And and you can just like be in awe. I mean, in the room where you see all the stormtroopers, mm -hmm. they, they actually did had to grab me and take me away because I couldn't, I couldn't believe, I mean, I've seen pictures of it, but when you're there, you're in an auditorium with mm -hmm. stormtroopers looking at you and you're going, these guys are real. They're going to take me away. The trick they use to make that real is the exact same thing you do with the Hall of Presidents. 
It's the little subtle movements. It's the shifting yeah. of weight. It's leaning over to the other guy. I mean, again, there's stormtroopers. They're supposed to be standing at attention. But there's just enough movement to, those guys are real. That's a real squad of guys with blasters, and we need to behave ourselves in this space. My niece, she went nuts. She was watching this, and she's going, he moved. He's real. They're not, they're not statues. They're real. Yeah. And I'm going, yeah. you know, that I think they're animatronics, but maybe not. To commit to that gag, I mean, I, I'm sure somebody out there actually has the count of how many stormtroopers are standing there. Dave Chang, uh, I, I got to interview him at the D23 Expo where they unveiled the giant supersized model. And he was talking about, he said, I have been over at the construction site. The thing that blows my mind is we have one room in this attraction that is as big as the entire show building for Pirates of the Caribbean. One room to sell one scene in the show, and that's the scale they committed to. Also, I love that it's like five different ride systems inside of one building to get you to have this whole experience. But anyway, all right, so you're on the ship, you're taken down to be interrogated. What are your thoughts about the second half of the Rise of the Resistance experience? Like they tell you, there's, what is it, four different ride um, systems that Mm -hmm. you're doing. And they don't give you time to think. Mm -hmm. They take you from one place to another. Mm -hmm. And like I said, there are real people there. Mm -hmm. There are animatronics. There Mm -hmm. is video screens. Mm -hmm. And and it's everything. It just becomes, you're just to the part where you get sucked up in the the whole Mm -hmm. fantasy of it. And you are there. And it's not not a ride like... uh, Indiana Jones, you are part of it. You, if if you weren't there, mm-hmm. there would be no Rise of the Resistance. Mm-hmm. The audience is part of it, and and I don't think any other ride mm-hmm. has is a participation ride like this. This is like the first time that they they made a, a, they could put cameras in there and they mm-hmm. could film a whole sequence from a movie, mm-hmm. you know, from a Star Wars film, and they can use the backgrounds. It's it's that intense and it's it's that detailed Mm -hmm. and you know the the cart you're in that goes that goes into another thing and it goes down and yeah say that the the in fact there's a story supposedly do you remember the episode of the mandalorian where they're busting the folks out of prison and oh yeah! You get to see the the X wing at the end, and Taika Waititi is one of the the pilots. And I forget the it, it's actually the, the directors of the first couple of episodes playing X wing right. pilots. It, it, supposedly, again, they're like, "All right, we need to see, shoot this," and it's like, "Oh dang, we need an X wing." And it's like, "Well, hang on, they got one for Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, and evidently they used the prop <laughs> that was created." For, uh, you know, so ironically enough, the very thing you were talking about, that, that you could shoot something there, and it's like, well, I don't think they actually shot it there, but they did use something that was created for Alex's Edge. Anyway, I, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but you also had an, an interesting note about how they made the world real. Can you talk about the power grid? Well, okay, this was really funny. When I went into and we're walking around, mm-hmm. and, and by the way, I just want to mention one thing, mm-hmm. the, the Rondo wrap. Mm-hmm. is one of the best things I've ever eaten in my life. You're not wrong. 
and right. uh, the stuff. peppercorn sauce just blows mm-hmm. it. So actually, you're walking around, mm-hmm. and so you don't notice the 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 real little s- subtle details, mm-hmm. except when you're stopped, like mm-hmm. in line. We, um, if you go to the twenty seventh, if you go to Star Wars night, don't mm-hmm. be afraid of them telling you the line is an hour and forty five minutes because mm-hmm. it it won't be. It will mm-hmm. be forty five minutes. Okay. So we, I'm, we're standing in line, and I guess you know you're on the outer rim, and mm-hmm. maybe the power isn't the the most reliable. Mm-hmm. So it fades up to very bright, and then it fades down to almost that you can't see anything, and it does this continue continually, but you don't really notice it. Your conscious don't doesn't mm-hmm. notice it, but your subconscious does, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you start blinking. And you're going, am I having a aneurysm or something? Am I am I having a stroke? What's happening? And then you notice, okay, this is this is what's going on. I'm on a I'm on an unreliable power grid, mm-hmm. and they're showing me that this is unreliable by the light going up and down. Mm-hmm. And it was too because I was trying to read my 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 little brochure, and then mm-hmm. I'm going, I'm try, as I'm trying to read it. You know, I I can read it and then I can't read it. I can read it and then I can't read it. Mm-hmm. And I actually thought that you know, I had to go back to the the eye doctor to find out what was going on. But that's what you feel like. You feel like that there's there's something going wrong here. There's just all these these subtleties and you and the cast members. You know, you're walking around and you don't see any cast members, and all of a sudden you turn around and there's a cast member, and they're mm-hmm. asking you a question, and you're mm-hmm. just going, "I just want to watch Rondo rap. That's all I want." Uh, so, oh. but but the Star Wars night is great too because most of the other park is open, mm-hmm. and they have specialty food, mm-hmm. and I love food, and okay. I love specialty food, mm-hmm. and they have things like. You've been to Disneyland and you've had the wonderful corn dogs, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, they there's one part where you go to the stage door mm-hmm. cafe mm-hmm. and there is a corn dog with panko bread crumbs around and mm-hmm. a chili lime sauce squirted mm-hmm. onto it. And yeah, it's it's a heart attack waiting to happen, but it's <laughs> so delicious and mm-hmm. it's so wonderful and then like i said the ronda wrap and they also had this like punch mm-hmm. that was cranberry um pear mm-hmm. pineapple and it, it it was it was non-alcoholic mm-hmm. but you wouldn't know it because as you it has a bite to it mm-hmm. and it was very thirst quenching and it's just then I'm I'm definitely gonna try to go to another one of these things, mm-hmm. but I will probably eat my way through it more than. Uh, that's well, they okay. they had Star Wars bonnets too. Mm-hmm. They called them Dagobite Dagobot mm-hmm. bites, and <laughs> they were shaped as Yoda. Oh. so you can tear yeah. off an ear and dip it in the sauce. It was mm-hmm. really pretty good. Was that at that little corner cafe in New Orleans? Yes. Or, yeah, uh, that's in the North. Yeah, because you have to go there to to get them, and and all the other rides. I mean, we'll walk on. I mean, mm-hmm. we walked onto the Indiana Jones ride, uh-huh. which um, they have to refurbish that thing. It's it's a little. I I got to go to Indiana Jones the day it opened, mm-hmm. and it was raining, and I was in line for three hours. Mm-hmm. And as you go through the queue, 
when you get to there's this part where there you see this bamboo mm-hmm. like holding the ceiling up oh, and yes. if you if you touch it the right way mm-hmm. it will make this like the the i scared so many people because i mm-hmm. figured this out mm-hmm. so every time i went in i would go uh hold on and i would do this and then people would be <laughs> screaming and running well, that's because the spikes are coming down out yeah, of the ceiling, right at, right at you. Yeah, but I, uh, but that's what I'm saying. So we we walk through there mm. on on Smuggler's Run. The line was 15 minutes because it takes that long mm-hmm. to walk to the front. Yeah, yeah. For me, the highlight of that ride was actually getting on the Money of Falcon and the crazy attention yes. to detail in sort of the ready room space where it's like. This is the movie. Then the whole coaxium go collecting things that, in hindsight, you know, I, you know, and I get the ties to Solo, which I personally think is, is a good film, but didn't do the business. Oh, I would have loved this to be Tantooine. Yeah. It, it, it should have been Tantooine. I mean, now look at it's like, are you ever going to leave this desert planet? Yeah. It's it's like let's get let's get somewhere else. All the series are taking yeah. place on Tantooine. There are all these stories about when they originally designed Star Wars Land. I mean, it was it was going to be Tatooine. They were going to do the actual cantina, and you know, you were going to get to go to the docking bay where you know, the money fucker was parked. And the Imagineers do all the groundwork, and they do the presentation of Bob Iger, and he comes in and says, "Guys, this is wonderful, and you did exactly what I wanted, but I've changed my mind. I've talked with." Kathleen, uh, Kathleen Kennedy, the head of Lucasfilm, and her argument is that the future of Star Wars is the three new films. We need to go to places that not just the, the fans of the original films love. We need to go to places that are new to people of the franchise. And so let's invent this new space. And that's how we got Black Spire Outpost on the planet of Batu. But in hindsight now, looking at the success of The Mandalorian, or for that matter, The Book of Boba Fett, I would bet real money that if this project were making its way through the development cycle at Imagineering right now, we'd be back on, on Tatooine, and you know we would probably have Jabba's Palace looming up in the background. Well, uh, I'm, I'm hoping that with the Marvel Universe mm-hmm. and the, the Marvel campuses mm-hmm. for all each of the the parks uh, in, around the world, there's going to be a different campus with different rides. And why can't they do that with with Galaxy's Edge? Make like make Paris Tantooine and and make one of them Corsican and and just you know or I don't know if you can do Camino, but just just do things where you have different lands. Star Wars lands, and then people will want to go to these different lands. I would think that that would be something to do. I mean, and now especially with all the, I mean, people love Galaxy's Edge, and it's always packed, and it. I'm sure it's bringing in a lot of people. But people have said, well, you know, especially the boomers, who I don't care what they say, boomers spend money, and they're not. They they say, well, I would like to see Princess Leia, or I'd like to see Luke, or I'd like to see. Darth Vader. I mean, that's bring it to Paris, and then people will come to Paris to see Darth Vader. So, well, Brian, thank you so much. It was a, it's a, such a lovely look back at 
Star Wars night. Yeah, just look. I'm sure they're gonna they're they're gonna have them mm-hmm. a lot, mm-hmm. and it's May the Fourth is you know where they. I don't know why they didn't do three nights because it was Wednesday, Thursday, and then they could have done Friday too. But it's such a well done, mm-hmm. you know, fun thing to go. And even though the ticket is as much as a day. Mm-hmm. And you only get four hours of the 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 night time, but you can get there earlier. Now, uh, just to correct there, that, that it runs from nine to one, but but you're supposed to be able to start to mix in at like six, so you can get six o'clock. Yeah. yeah. So and it, it is funny because you get this badge mm-hmm. to wear, yep. and people who are going out going, "Why are they wearing Star Wars? Why? What can I do that? <laughs> Why are they doing that? Can we maybe sneak into the bathroom and stay there until they cut everybody out?" Yeah, there were a lot of people that you were seeing, like, and they're and they go through like, oh yeah, you know, like stormtroopers, like they're going. You don't have a a wristband. There you I'm go. sorry, you're gonna have to leave. There you go. But it, it it's one hundred percent worth going, mm-hmm. and the the ride lines are minimal, fifteen minutes, except for a rise, which was forty five minutes, which is. It, wonderful mm-hmm. if you think about it. And it's true. But it's true. It's it's worth it. And you're going to be able to go the 27th, right? Here's hoping. There's hoping. All right, folks. So that's going to do it for this week's Looking at Luke's Film. On behalf of uh, Mr. Ghana and myself, we want to thank you for listening. Uh, Brian, is there some place on social media folks can find you and follow you? Yeah. Um, I, I'm on Twitter right now. On, with It's under Geek with Children. Mm-hmm. And children is spelled C H I L D R N, mm-hmm. no E, mm-hmm. because there wasn't enough space. There we go. So um, yeah, that's where you can find me, and I, I I put things every once in a while on there. Cool, cool. Okay, now uh, Nancy would like me to remind you folks that you can find us on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media, and over on Facebook is Jim Hill Media News. Also supposed to remind you, we got a couple other podcasts here. We got Disney Dish with Len Testa. Likewise, we have Fine Tuning, which I do with Drew Taylor, who does uh, some wonderful work over at The Wrap. Uh, likewise, has his own terrific Mission Impossible podcast, Light the Fuse. And then, of course, we have Marvelous Disney, which I do with Aaron Adams. If you could do Brian and I a favor, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and recommend the show you're listening to right now, looking at Lucas Home, that would be helpful. And if you really, really, really like what you heard here, if you want to head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, well, that's what will keep us in tickets to Star Wars Night at Disneyland Park. Thanks for listening, folks, and we will be back soon.